black and white photography has always been my, I suppose it's just kind of my life. Hello and welcome to the Art Guide Australia podcast with Tiani Mikus. This episode is the sixth in the long run series, where I speak with artists who've had practices spanning 60 years. And this episode is with Mervyn Bishop. Mervyn is a Murray man and is Australia's first Aboriginal photojournalist and documentary photographer. When he was just 17 in the early 1960s, he began a four-year cadetship with the Sydney Morning Herald. Later in the 1970s, Mervyn took a position as a photographer for the Department of Aboriginal Affairs. And it was during this time that he took one of his most iconic images of Prime Minister Gough Whitlam and Vincent Lignari. The first solo exhibition of Mervyn's images came about in 1991 and was curated by artist Tracy Moffat. And at the time of this episode, he currently has a major survey at the National Film and Sound Archive of Australia. Mervyn began taking photos when he was young, and we talk about the influence of his mother in steering him toward photography, as well as the years at the Sydney Morning Herald. We also discuss the stories behind some of his most iconic images and the emotional aspects of his work. And as a photographer who's known for capturing incredibly empathic moments, we talk about how he gets photography to such an intimate place. But before we get started, a kind thank you to our sponsor for this series, Lena Joel Auctioneers and Valuers, based in Melbourne and Sydney. I thought we could start at the beginning and I was wondering if you could tell me about the first time you used a camera when you were growing up in the 1950s because I understand it was a combination of your mother's influence and a school friend's dark room. Well, growing up in little town Brewarrina in western New South Wales, my dear mum always had a camera, a Kodak box brownie, and I took a an interest in it, and uh, every now and then I could I was shown how to use it. And that, about that at that time, about 1955, there's a flood Brewarrina, and um, a lot of aircraft used to come in and land not too far from where we lived. And I was, you know, my mate we used to go out to the airport or the aerodrome, and. Um, look at all the aircraft we knew which all the different types of air, aircraft that used to come and go so they used to take supplies out to um, flood bound uh, properties so i borrowed <laughs> i picked up mum's camera one day and took it out with my mate robert and we, i took some pictures of aircraft and um, when the film was back mum saw these photos and said wow what have we got here <laughs> I said, the photos of aeroplanes, and why? I said, well, I, I love them. And they, they were around for quite some time. Then I used to sort of borrow, she bought another camera, and I used to kind of borrow that every now and then. It was black, all black and white, and then one of the Anglican, well, in those days, we used to call them Church of England, Bush Brothers and the Brotherhood of the Good Shepherd, they, they would come into town and they'd be there for a few years and then another one had come along and one one chap he came out from England his name is we call him brother Richard anyway he was bad bad keen about photography and he had a Zeiss folding black and white camera and then he decided to get a um, an Akon 
35 millimeter camera to so he could mm. take color slides and then take them back to England when he went back. Anyway, I, I was looking at it and I said, gee, that's, that's going to be great. So I'd sort of save some money. Me and my, my mate Robert, Robert War, we used to uh, cash in drink bottles for sixpence each and then we'd um, borrow someone's mower and cut the grass and we'd get 10 bob here and a quid there, you know, a bit of, you know, little, little jobs like that. I, I bought this camera and it cost me 15 pounds. There's a lot of money. And mm. and mum said, oh, you, look at, oh, you spend that money on that. So, <laughs> God love her. So I said, well, we can colour slides. And she said, oh, that sounds interesting. What what would they look like? And showed her a slide. She said, yeah, can we look at that? I said, well, we're going to put them in a projector and put them and project them onto, you know, the wall. Anyway, we rigged up we rigged up a, a screen as a sheet on the on the clothesline at the back table then set it up and then away we'd go we might might only have a look at 20 slides and um, the kids up the street would come along and some of the other folks would go, come around and and then they'd, they'd and then someone else would walk in and they'd want to have a look at them we might be there for a couple of hours looking at <laughs> these pictures over and over and over and I didn't do a bad job of exposure wise and focus it was quite a, 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 a you know great interest. A friend he had a an enlarger, but he he was a bit haphazard with it. And then another another chap who was a greater driver on the Brewarna Council. His name was Vic King. And when Mr King would go out and he'd come in on a Friday afternoon in the greater, and we could see in the near, near the road coming in from the, the north. See the grader coming in, and said, oh wow, arranged to go around to his house where he'd converted a bedroom into a dark room. He kicked mm. the kids out and they were sleeping on the veranda. Truly? Really? Truly. And he's uh, like, he was an was was Englishman. Anyway, he, he had a great interest in photography and he used to take pictures of people and kind of um, events, dead balls and things like that in other groups, weddings. Uh, anyway, I'd gone around there and asked him if I could see how all this happened. And uh, he said, yeah, right. Anyway, he, he did, a, did a print off one of my knees, put in the developer and uh, rocking the dish, as we say, and then you could see the image coming up. And from that time on, you know, watching this image come up, I was bitten, I was smitten, I was... Uh, I couldn't... Oh, it was just so great. Then after after that, I used to go up, you know, when it was possible to go there, to you know, be in the dark room. The smell of it all, the, the chemicals, and in the dark under the safe light, I just loved it. And I was in about, well, I suppose I would have been about twelve or so. Uh, so I was smitten. I, black and white photography has always been my, I suppose it's just kind of my life. It still is. Yeah to actually sort of work in a dark room with black and white. And I'm, what, 75 now. I still like the smell, how the, you know, the process of making prints. It's still most, oh, it's just, just wonderful. Mm. To move forward maybe a little bit in time, in the early 60s, at the very young age of 17, you got a four-year cadetship at the Sydney Morning Herald and you went on to become Australia's first Aboriginal press photographer. 
What was it like working at the Herald during that time, particularly as an Indigenous photographer? Oh, I, I just thought it was wonderful. I um, went for an interview and the chap that interviewed me, his name is Hal Marrick, Fred Hal Marrick. He is kind of out of a gruff sort of a way of speaking, but that didn't worry me. And he was a good, you know, good press photographer. Anyway, he said, well, you know, take many pictures? I said, oh, not a lot these days. He said, why? I said, because I just don't. Um, you know, I moved down to Sydney and I was, at that time I was working with the, at the ABC up in the cross there just, and I was kind of a copy boy type of person. Anyway, he said, um, right, so you got any photos to show me? I said, um, no, I don't have any photos, but I, I bought in a packet of slides. He put, put the slides up on a, on, a, on a light box and he's looking at them and he says, all yours? I said, yes, yes, yes. Typing that told him the camera, the eight little Acon 35mm camera. Hmm, yeah, good, terrific. So he said, any darkroom experience? And I just told him about Mr. Well, Vic King's little darkroom in Brewarna. I'd had, got a couple of little books about it and how to, you know, but a bit of a background reading for myself. And um, he said, right, oh, well, let's go into the darkroom. He, he, pulled out a, a negative that was in there and put it in it's an enlarger and he said, What well, let's see let's see how you go with that. So I <laughs> I was I was a bit nervous. So but the, <laughs> I put the um the, all that in the negative in the neg- negative carry on, put it in and switched it on and uh, and he said, Well what size print are you going to do? I said, What can I what no what size paper? And he said, oh, let's go with this. It was an 8 by 6 or a 10 by 8 print. And, um, and right. he, said, he said, well, well, you've done good. He said, <laughs> I, I said, oh, really? I said, oh, that's fantastic. I said, hey, can I do another one? Yeah. And then at the end of it, five minutes, two prints, and he said, I said, can I, can I take them with me? He said, oh, yeah, we'll run them through some water and put them on the dryer and dry, you can take them take them back with yourself, you know. I said, oh, <laughs> fancy, great, you know. <laughs> you know, the hands are all, you know, covered in so developer and fixing water and, you know, you smelt and I said, oh, this is lovely. But dried them off and looking at them out there in the, in the room light and uh, he says, uh, yeah, he said, you did pretty good. And so he said, oh, well, okay, well, thanks very much. Well, he says, you'll be, you'll be hearing from us one way or the other. I said, oh, good, thank you very much. Off, off, off did trot, and a week or so, ten days later, they, they wrote and offered me a cadetship. I went, oh, 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 oh wow, 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 wow. <laughs> so that started, well, it was a four-year cadetship. Did you know when you were starting at that time that you were going to be the first Indigenous press photographer? Oh, I suppose so. Did it play on your mind? Did you did you think about that at the time? No, no, I was, I was out for me. I wasn't worried about anybody else or anything. I wanted to do my thing. I could have been green, I could have been yellow, I could have been whatever. But all yeah. I was interested in learning how to take photographs and process and print them myself. So that began that four-year, four-year cadetship. Uh, early days you just did menial things in the dark room. 
like mixing chemicals, glazing and trimming prints. There were other young young cadets there. I mean, they were all thinking, well, how does this little uh, little <laughs> little lad become a cadet photographer? You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I didn't didn't let that worry me. And some of those guys are still my friends and mates. Yeah, there's there's a brilliant photograph that you took in 1967, and, and some of those friends are probably in it. And it's this photograph of a beautiful model, and she's been photographed by all these male cadet photographers. And I just thought I thought about the fact that you chose to photograph her being photographed. Like it says so much more about celebrity and beauty than what those other photographers were going to get. And I feel like maybe you had a deeper understanding even then just of the, the absolute framing of an image. And I just wonder, is that something natural for you or is that a skill you've had to work on to, to get a unique angle amidst a sea of other photographers also trying to capture the same thing? Well, we'd taken sort of singly the, one of the photographers, David Cumming, he'd arranged to take some pictures of that lass and uh, they invited other cadet photographers and some from the art department, people, there's an array of different types of camera. They'd, they'd grab anything, make out they were taking pictures. They just wanted to have a good look at this girl. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and they're all clicking around and I, I said, oh, I got some pictures of her singularly. And then I thought, look at them all. Like, look at these guys. And I said, I'll turn. I said, do you mind if I go around on the other side of, and get you in the foreground and with them in the background? She didn't mind. You know, I just it, it created another another type of image. I thought. Yeah, no, definitely. And it, is that something that's been on your mind throughout your career of having to find something unique compared to what other photographers are taking? Ooh, that's. You know, working as a newspaper photographer, a lot of the times you don't have a choice of what you're going to take. It might be an accident or something tragic. All the photographers, well, there was only like the, the Sydney Morning Herald and the Sun together, Fairfax, then there's Telegraph and the Mirror, oh, then later came the Australian. But we'd not so much as trying to outdo each other because there weren't that many newspapers. And we all knew each other pretty well from over the years. I mean, sometimes you'd get there and everything was packed up and gone. It all depends on circumstances of getting to a job. But then sometimes the other photographer would say, uh, mate, mate, 10 minutes ago, da-da-da, it's all over. And, oh, so you... So they'd say, they'd say, oh, we'll see you later. See you later, Bish. Well, Bish, oh, we'll, we'll uh, you know, give you, a couple of, give you a couple of eggs and you can print them up, yeah. You know, we kind of survived and we looked after each other. Mm, that's interesting, yeah. In 1971, you won the Australian News Photographer of the Year Award for your front-page photograph of Life and Death Dash, and it was of a child, you know, being rushed to hospital by a nun. And a lot of people misread that photograph as an Indigenous child being taken away by a nun. So true, and, yep. Yeah, I was wondering if you could talk about the story of that image and how it made you feel that people did misread it. Oh, at that time, this mother was taking her sick children into St Margaret's Hospital at Darlinghurst. And then they said, um, 
bring, bring your kids in, quick. So she jumped in the car. There was a boy and a girl. And she took off speeding. And anyway, police motorcyclist pulled her up and said, you're speeding. He said, I've got to get my kids into the hospital. They're, they're dying. Yeah. And he said, right, come on, follow me. Put the siren on. And he flies along. And she's, she's flying in after him. And we'd heard we'd, on our car radio, we were around the corner. And we, we drove around and we said, oh, what's going to happen here? So I got out of the car and had my camera, the Nikon 35mm, and flash on it, your camera set up to take a picture, you know, eight, ten feet away. You didn't, you know, just pull, pull, it, pull it up to your eye and click. You didn't have some time to sort of follow focus. You just did it. It was automatic. And uh, the little fella got out of the car and Sister Anne Byrne from the hospital picked him up and he started to cry and, and his mother was saying, oh, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And um, she was sort of fluffing around with the little girl, but younger. And uh, I took that image and, and I said to her, don't worry about me, lady. I said, just get your kids into the hospital. And uh, the policeman said, yeah, lady, don't worry about him. And then he's helping them up into the hospital. And I said, oh, that's that? I was on the sun shift that day, uh, early in the morning, and uh, they didn't use it in the sun. Don't know why, but the story is it's something to do with Catholics. And, and uh, anyway, the Sydney Morning Herald put it out next day, front page. Didn't bat an eyelid about it. And so later on, I submitted it in the award, award time and won the news, Australian News Photographer of the Year. Wow, that's something. I got a little, I got a little medal, and I think, I think, like, I got a prize of two hundred dollars. So just sort of continued on. Uh, that, what, what's going to happen? Am I going to? I was sort of taking reasonable images and photos. Then I thought, uh, am I going to get anywhere? Right. So that's when you went and you went and took that government job in the in the seventies. The Department of Aboriginal Affairs as a as a like public relations photographer of the Department of Aboriginal Affairs. And so yeah. my wife and I, Elizabeth, we we moved to Canberra. I think it was about nineteen seventy two three, and then in that that time, they didn't know what they were going to do with me. So you know the main main things for me to be taking was pictures of Aboriginal folks in different places. So like that have um, families, education, housing, health. When you were taking those photos of Aboriginal communities, was there a divide between you as a photographer and you as a person? Like on the one hand, you're, you're just doing your job. But then on the other hand, did you support those government policies? Did you think they were going to bring about some change in the 1970s? Well, my job was to take pictures of what was there then. I sort of had, had the idea that, so particular with housing, which wasn't so grand in any places I went to, that, you know, my, stu- my story, if I was talking to the folks, they'd be saying, oh, gee, then they don't take a photo of this, this humpy here or this, this shed here where we're living. It's shameful. And I said, well, I said, I'd, I know what you're saying, but maybe with images of these places... Maybe there could be some way of upgrading your lifestyle with some decent housing, you know, because housing, then you've got health uh, to go go with that and down the line and, and towards education. So maybe that might help. 
and, and in a lot of the places it did. Some were always went on about it's not good. I said, "Cause it." I said, "No." I said, "You'll never get anywhere." To me, I wouldn't sort of come out and say it, but I said, "If if I can be of help to you, maybe we're going to you could submit these photographs with the submissions or things they had liaison officers and for them to to write a write a um, a yarn about the conditions and the type of housing in those places is easily described in photographs how hard and difficult it was you know for people to, to live that way for so long and it would continue to afterwards yeah what's that like emotionally for you i mean can you can you kind of go home and, and leave such an emotional day at the door or does it sort of follow you around? Well, I'd work for, for the paper, newspaper, and you take pictures of horrible things, accidents, some of the worst things in the newspapers. In the early in the morning, we'd be doing death knocks. Uh, some of the older guys, they were quite, they'd done it before and they knew a bit about it. And they'd take along a photographer. Sometimes photographers had never, never gone through that deal. I don't know, in my upbringing... I was sort of Church of England and I know you had sort of an empathy, sympathy with the folks because you knew some of your folks had gone through this stuff and sort of having a journal and a photographer lob on you early in the morning for a story and a photograph mainly of the family and then of, say, lost ones, they might have a photo on, on, on sideboard. So ask if you can borrow it and copy it and use it for the story. You know, promised to take it back with, with photos and what whatever you did, and that was very important to do that. They'd remember you. I mean, I, I stood out. Suddenly, black fella taking photos, and uh, they said, "Well, no, you you had a, a gentleness, had sympathy, and you could talk to us without going through whatever had happened. The ones that lost, and I." I mean, that, that was just me, and I guess it might go back to my upbringing. Being a young, young lad in Brewarren as, a, say, as an altar boy, you knew your people and other people had gone through sorrow and sadness, and we, I just did it. I, could, I didn't have much trouble because of my sort of up, previous upbringing. Some of those things come back to me now, of people have lost, lost their loved ones, or things have happened, and... And I often think these days with television and stuff, they, they've fallen over one another, take pictures of this and that. I just, I just feel it's so unnecessary. But then, if it's not done, who's going to believe you? On that idea, though, of photography as evidence and, or as, you know, the photographer as a kind of witness, I mean, I feel like that comes out just so clearly in that very famous photograph in 1974 that you took of Gough Whitlam and Vincent Lignari. And I didn't know this until I was listening to an interview that that image, in a sense, was sort of composed because you asked the two of them to walk outside and take the photograph. And I wondered, at that moment when you were taking that photograph, did you have a sense that you were creating something iconic? At the time... I was interested in the shape of the image. Uh, well, like reconciliation was wasn't around then, but it was. I suppose it was the start of reconciliation, and it became 
it has been used so much that way. Like um, Paul Kelly said in Steps of the Opera House in the show, and he said, um, you know, he's singing his, a lot of his, his repertoire, and he said, oh, I'm singing this, this one now. It's a story about a, an image that a bloke called Mervyn Bishop took, and, you know, from little things, big things grow. And I went, oh, oh, bless him. <laughs> And 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 everyone, they all cheered, and everyone on the steps of the opera house, and they all cheered, yeah. And then I got about that night. I'm in, I was up in Dubbo, and I got about half a dozen phone calls. Yay, Paul Kelly was talking about you, Bishow. Did, did did you did you record that that show? I said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, he said they'd say, how do you feel about that? I said, fantastic. Fantastic. I said, what about you? What about you? And everyone was cheering. And, and I, I mean, it was, a, it was a retake of the image inside, but it was a good retake, for goodness sake. You know? It was clear. It was stood out. And if, yeah. if, if you're looking at a big blow-up of it, you could see down the side all the folks, they had all new clothes out there. They bought new clothes for all the folks. Oh, oh, the government bought them new clothes? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, they, <laughs> they had a nice shirt on and he had these, short, these, these trousers. And on and then the side of the trousers, like they were <laughs> too big because he's on his skinny, thin chap, their old Uncle Vincent, and you could see all the, so, the, the stitching where they sewed him into it. So when you're looking at a nice big photograph of that, you have a look at on the side and people say, look at that, so clear. I said, of course it is, because it is is taken on a Hasselblad and a, and a Hasselblad with a fill flash. And I said, do you know when Neil Armstrong and the boys went up to the moon, what sort of cameras did they take? Hasselblads. And they're still on the moon and... <laughs> Because they couldn't bring them back because they're heavy camera. But they they bought the film back. But <laughs> I was like, why didn't they bring the cameras back, you know? Because, you know, I suppose Hasselblad would have been displaying them forever. But, you know, I've used that type of camera they used because they're so good. But there's something in that where, and, and this is whether, you know, you've, you've taken portraits of, of quite famous people and people in Indigenous communities and then, you know, your newspaper images. And something that is just continuously praised about your photography is your ability to get viewers to empathise or to make a viewer feel like they have an emotional connection to the images that you're taking. And I wonder, what do you think it is that makes you able to do that as a photographer to get to that empathic place? I'm not going to tell you all my secrets. Oh, no, <laughs> come on. <laughs> no, really? So you think it's something very, you think it's something you figured out about photography that you know how to do? Well, sometimes you might have met, only met the per- person, person the first time. They don't know anything too much about you and you might not know much, a lot about them. And I thought, well... I've done pictures of like elders for different people, different companies, different organisations of elders, and quite a lot of them have since passed on. And at that time, they'd say, "Oh, but I don't, I don't like taking the photos. They don't look good." And I said, <laughs> "I said, well, I said, well, what sort of photos have you got done?" And they'd, they'd pull out a crumple thing out of an old wallet, and I said, 
well, who's that? And they said, oh, that's so-and-so. I said, man, it's taken out in the sunlight, you can't see their eyes, anything. And uh, she said, yeah. I said, well, how about we, we get something with your eyes because you've got lovely eyes, you know, because I, I didn't have any makeup kits or anything like that. And I said, well, if you want, you could change into a, you know, another type of outfit. Or, oh, mm, isn't this good enough? I said, I'll take pictures of what you would like, what you would like to look like. And these days, well, in those days when I was doing quite a lot of this, with a digital camera, you could kind of show them a few images. And that way you, you gain, their, gain their trust, gain their, you know, got on. And I said, well, this is, I said, this is the start of it. It's not a, just like a pixie photo thing. You just go in, you go, sit up, bang, clip. Mine would, you know, there's something, I could see something in them, in the person, about how they look, how they, they look towards you as not just a, a machine, a camera, but, you know, you'd be talking away and, and I'd be t- t- taking photos of them and I'd say, you know, I'd say something or, no, and because I've got a good, so wherever I went, I'd know something about their family, you know, to kind of do a bit of research, who they're related to and what type of work your, your dad did or your grandfather did, your grandmother. And then I said, oh, gee, you know, you look look a you look a bit like um, there's a lady used to be in say Brew Warren or something. You look a bit like her in a way. She said, "Well, some of my family did come from there." I said, "Oh, mm. oh, really? Yeah, I could see that now." And and you, you'd get talking away, and they'd open up about, and I'd, I'd sort of get some more more expressive photos of them. And down the track, they were all you know. Well, I want. To, I'd like to make you look good, and I just like you to. You'd like, like to see me when, when we've been printed up, that you're happy with how you look at that time, and they, you know, they'd see me and they said, "Yeah, they took the photo. Yeah, Murphy, Murphy <laughs> took them photos." And then sometimes, someone passed on, and they'd they'd display one of my images on the coffin. They'd have it blown up, you know, 10 by 8, and there's auntie, auntie or uncle on the on the photo of her or him on the coffin. And uh, they said, well, gee, that's him, that's her. And then uh, they'd say, oh, who took that photo? You know, that that, that, that bishop, bishop fella, Minty Bishop, yeah, yeah. Oh, gee, that's nice. And, you know, you, you, you feel proud to to have done that. Has it changed from what you were trying to do as a photographer in the 1960s and what, you know, you're trying to do as a photographer in later life? Does that change as the decades change or do you think some things really have just remained the same? Well, imaging is quite, uh, those early days, it could be quite instantaneous without too much interaction, I would say. You could only get what you could and hope, hope, hopefully got something. These days with the digital cameras, you can just press the button. I don't have that type of equipment. Yeah, but I guess maybe that's at a technical level. At a more philosophical level, does what you're, is what you're trying to do with photography the same as what you were trying to do 50 or 60 years ago? 
I guess it away. But that's me. I think if it's a faithful, faithful representation of them, whether they like it or not, that's what I try to try to get a, a nice photograph of them that I'm pleased with, and what they they are pleased with. I mean, it, some didn't worry some of those early early photographer people I, when I worked with. They'd just go, oh, click, click, there, oh, that's them, and click, click, click. You could, I, I could see something else in them or see a look of, of them. And I still see that now. I know at one stage my, my, I thought my eyes were going. I had it all checked out and had cataracts done. But I was worried about my images weren't sharp. And that's recovered. I, well, I've got grandkids and I like taking family, little family pictures of them when I can. When, like, when we were growing up, my mum used to have pictures of us and the cousins when she, when she could, and it's good to look back on those images. And that was Mervyn Bishop for this sixth episode of The Long Run. Stay tuned for more episodes to be released shortly, and you can also listen back to previous episodes with Suzanne Archer, Robert Owen, Gareth Sansom, Wendy Stavrianos, and John Walsley. You can subscribe to the Art Guide podcast on Apple and Spotify, or otherwise listen at Art Guide online, where you can also keep up to date with art-related features and interviews from across the country.